Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! So wonderful for all of you to be here for the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and I have my friend here. Hi, Greg. Hi, Shelly Mazanoble. How are you? Doing wonderful and excited to hang out with you. Uh, Me too. And all of our listeners on this episode. Highlight of the week. Highlight of your week, I hope. You um, being the listeners. Yes. Okay. And and puppy. Highlight. Puppy is well, the highlight of my week. It is National Puppy Day that we are recording this episode. And uh, so shout out to puppers. Happy, Give your puppy a hug, everyone happy, out there. Yes. Especially if their name happens to be puppy. So. I want people to respond to us uh, on Twitter with anybody who has a dog whose name is Puppy. <gasps> puppies I would love unite. To see yes, we need to see more of the puppies. And like not just puppies, which I'm always excited to see pictures of puppies. But I mean like, is your dog named Puppy like mine is? I would like to know that. And I, I would I also like you to know, I didn't name him. Nobody in this family named him. That was his name from the shelter. Or from his previous life. That's the most amazing part about it is because you think it would be like, a, oh, a kid, right. you know, when they were young, the only thing you could say was puppy and they named yep. the puppy puppy and it's just stuck. But that's not what happened. No. Uh, it, this is his name. That's Yeah. The, I don't think the shelter named him that either. I think whoever, his previous owner, I think his name was just puppy. And puppy has inspired thousands of animal companions that Shelly <laughs> has played with in D&D over the years. Yes. But I mean, puppy himself would make it the worst familiar Ever. <laughs> I would not adventure with Puppy if like he was paying me 20,000 gold pieces. I'd be like, no, I'm leaving you in town. I'm going to tie you up to a street post in front of the, the tavern and just hope for the best. The only spell he knows is Gaseous Cloud. And he's very good at that. What would be the equivalent? Like, What would be like a good barf spell? Because <laughs> as you know, he, has, uh, he suffers from a, a condition called mega esophagus. Or or, or uh, puppy or barfing syndrome, barfyopolis, where he's just <laughs> constantly barfing. I I also just love that you refer to it as barf. Yeah, that's a very uh, very Gen X eighties uh, yes. word. <laughs> Total barfarama. Right, Stand you learned by that me. from uh, you can't do that on television. Um, oh my god, I forgot about that show. Remember? Yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder what the modern day version of that would be. Because what can't you, like, I'm sure things have changed. What you can and can't do on television now. That's true. Does television even exist anymore? It's all streaming. You can't do that on on streaming video, prime video. You can't do that on the cloud. (laughs) You can't do that on the cloud. (laughs) The cloud? What is the cloud? (laughs) This has nothing to do with anything. But I remember being in this writing class. It was probably like eight years ago because Quinn was a baby. Yeah. And this woman was writing a book proposal about the cloud. And we were all like, the what? And she was like, the cloud, because nobody understands what it is. So I'm going to write a user-friendly intro guide to the cloud. And I think of her often. So I'm like, I'd like to to read that book. (laughs) Eight years ago. Wasn't that long ago. We, the cloud for dummies. Yeah, basically. Yeah. What is the cloud? And I, like people are scared to like put their documents in the cloud. Like, will I ever be able to get them out of the cloud? How do you get them down? Did this person work at Microsoft? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it sounds Actually, like. Actually, almost, 
almost a guarantee. <laughs> or Amazon, right? Because that was also uh, mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Well, anyway. Thankfully, gaseous clouds are coming out of Puppy today, as well as amazing guests for this podcast. Oh. <laughs> That's the worst transition I've ever done. Not coming out of Puppy. Uh, we have a wonderful guest who has a podcast voice in their own right. Very excited for our guest, Navar Seek Jackson of the Secret Nerd podcast. And you'll hear all about uh, how he started that up and, and some of his guests and stories. And the secrets. And the secrets they the tell. The secrets of being nerdy. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you think's nerdy nowadays? Because I don't Dude, think that, it's that, the that same. people would want to keep secret? Yeah. Like, what's the know. new nerd? Like, I don't think, like, kids are, like, shy about loving Star Wars or... Or super dragons, or yeah, like what's the what's the new nerd? I don't. That's a very good question. Liking your mom, (laughs) letting letting your mom carry your backpack to school until you get to the playground, and then they are all into that. And I'm always like, why do why are why are the parents carrying the backpacks? Those bags are heavy. That's well, then take the stuff out of them. I can't. You have to bring that laptop back and forth. Get them a bag of holding. You could have another. Pandemic at the drop of a hat. You got to have that laptop. Those kids are going to have so much scoliosis from uh, from oh, carrying their bags. Do they still do scoliosis checks? <laughs> this is do you remember? memory lane. Wow, uh, for this Gen is like Xers. for real the Gen X uh, me- memory. Yes, rewind. They still do scoliosis checks. Do they like in I school? Think they do. I don't know if they still do it in school, but I used to enjoy those because I'm like, oh, that feels really good. And just like, I also really liked lice checks because I thought that felt really good. It was like a massage. Yes. Like take those little toothpicks, Mrs. Doritas and scrape my scalp. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Doritas for inventing Doritos back in the 50s. Nurse Doritas, I was seriously like, can I get in line again to get my head checked? (laughs) Because it feels so good. But they don't don't do that anymore. I don't think they do that anymore. No. Uh, They, you know. They do lots of fun, different things like carrying computers back and forth for people. Life is different now. Anyway, enough about that, I guess. Sorry. We uh, have lots of fun stuff to share just like that in our interview <laughs> section with Navarre. But before we do, we are excited to talk about some fun lore you should know with my friend James Hake talking about uh, the... Amazing stuff you'll be able to find in Critical Role, Call of the Nether Deep, especially around the region of Zorha. So let's give a listen to that before we get to our interview with Navar. Seek Jackson. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and this is the segment in which we talk about little bits of Dungeons & Dragons knowledge and lore about worlds. And I'm excited to have uh, my friend James Hake on here. Hi, James. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, To talk about some of the interesting lore that goes on in the world of Exandria, as dramatized in so many different forms of critical role medium, uh, as well as uh, the forthcoming book that you are uh, all hopefully flipping pages through now and getting ready to prep for your party, Critical Role, Call of the Nether Deep. Uh, And I want to talk to James about one particular area in uh, that adventure, it's where your party may start out in. It's uh, the area called Zorhas with an, with an X, X-O-R-H-A-S. <laughs> uh, and as in a previous segment, we, we found out it is where 
many of the largest battles of the calamity that was fought between the prime deities and the betrayer gods happened. So it's 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 not a pretty looking place, is it? Where, <laughs> where is uh, it? Jorhas is a fascinating location. Um, a, a lot of it was explored in uh, Campaign Two of Critical Role, um, and 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 yet there's still so much more. Uh, the the realm of Jorhas is a vast wasteland. Uh, yes, scarred by the ancient battles of the Calamity, and still prowled by gigantic demons, sort of remnants from this ancient war. Uh, one demon that I longed to include uh, in this adventure, but but couldn't quite manage to in an actual combat encounter, just because it's so dang strong, is one that our friends over at WizKids made a, a gorgeous mini for, and appears as a stat block in Explorer's Guide to Wildmouth called the Udok, which mm. is this humongous, you know, skyscraper-sized, mammoth-sized, uh, uh, ape-like creature that just plows its way across the waste. And, you know, you're, you're walking across the wasteland. You can see for miles and miles because there's just nothing in the way. And, you know, you feel a, the, a tremor in the ground. You look towards the horizon while you're walking and you're praying that it's a herd of mastodon crossing, but you know deep in your heart that it's not because you see this hulking shadow of a new dock roaming <laughs> across the land. You're like, okay, all right, so we're not going to Asarius today. We're going to go over to Jigao, take the other the other road, and we're, just gonna, we're not even going to try and mess with that thing. Gosh, that reminds me of the early days. I don't know, I was a World of Warcraft player uh, mm. in the first expansion and the Burning Crusade, and there was this mm. big, massive uh, uh, demon. Also, <laughs> that if you weren't paying attention to those sound, you know, those clumping boots and the awful sound, you could get uh, plowed pretty quick. And so, absolutely, I like seeing that in a D and D setting here, like this. Uh, so, when you say wasteland, is it is it all desert? Is it uh, you know sand? Uh, you know, what 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 does the actual landscape appear like? It's um. I, I, you know, Matt had his own vision in mind when he created Jorhas. I don't know what was going on in his head when when he was inspired by it, but I think of it very much as like if you took the geography of Eastern Washington, which is all very sort of flat, glacier scarred, uh, and very sort of scrubby. Mm-hmm. But then you put the weather of Western Washington, which is gloomy and rainy and drizzly, over it. You'd have a pretty good look at what Shorehouse is like. Okay, so so just for folks who may not be aware of the <laughs> of the landscape of Washington State here in the United States, but yeah, so very uh, as you said, just open plains, lots mm-hmm. of you know lakes and and things like that uh, in some ways, but just very dry in general. But mm-hmm. having it be wet with that landscape, flash is, floods, yeah. yeah. Um, muddy as all hell muddy as all hell yes uh <laughs> I, I imagine the seasons in Jorhas are very very extreme it just freezes freezes solid in winter uh gets scorched and barren in summer and is just kind of miserable uh, is it, is it a temp- i mean is it a zone that does experience seasons Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's good to know. Because not like for some reason, when I say wasteland, I feel like oh, it's always hot. You know? So <laughs> right. that's a really interesting uh, way to describe this this setting. Jorhas, in addition to being geographically uh, 
messed up has a very interesting uh, sort of system of government that's in place. Uh, when we talked about the betrayer gods last time, we had we talked a little bit about Lolth the Spider Queen, who is you know classic D and D god uh, slash demon god things like that. Uh, often has a iron grip over the drow, the dark elves who live in the Underdark. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, and, and or, or before I get to the however, I should say, and yes, that was at one point true in the world of Exandria. The, the drow were very much under Lal's thrall within the Battles of the Calamity. Um, however, uh, after the Battles of the Calamity were finished and the, betray- the betrayer gods were locked behind the Divine Gate, um, a a, a drow woman named Laylas Crin, or Laylas Crean, I should say, uh, led many of uh, of her followers out of the Underdark and onto the surface of Exandria. Uh, and they happened to wind up in Jorhas. And they took over a lot of ancient uh, sinister structures that were once used as fortresses and redoubts by the Betrayer gods and their minions in the war. Uh, so the capital of the Crean dynasty, led by Bright Queen Laylas Crean, uh, is uh, was once a grim fortress called Gordranus, and is now a sort of beautiful, uh, alien-looking uh, drow city called uh, called Rosona. And because because of this uh, sort of, we threw off the shackles of our evil gods feel, there are a lot of creatures, uh, humanoid creatures, who live in Jorhas that uh, I think a lot of sort of traditional old school style D&D players might see as the monsters, as the bad guys. Um, many settlements throughout Jorhas are populated by uh Drow, who often use magic to kind of remain under the cover of night, even when the sun is high overhead. Uh, goblinoids, like goblins, hobgoblins, bugbears, uh, orcs, who we talked briefly about last time, have an interesting affinity with uh, with Corellan and Grumsh, two great gods in their sort of mythology. Uh, and even, even uh, other creatures, too, like minotaurs. Um, and, and they all have a very sort of tight relationship because of... Uh, a, a god that led the Bright Queen out of darkness. If I feel like I'm really going fast, because Jorhas is a very fascinating place with a lot of politics and mythology uh, that took basically all of Campaign 2 to unearth, and which we also sort of crammed into Explorer's Guide to Wildmounts. So I'm giving you the, the best, quickest cliff, cliff notes that I can here, because there's a lot of ground to cover. That's cool there's, that there is so many uh, of those... Um, you know, peoples that are normally associated with, uh, you know, the adversaries in, in mm-hmm. D&D campaigns, but here they are potential allies uh, having having thrown off uh, some of the yokes. Now, were they under the control of the Betrayer Guards, some of them, like the Drow were? Um, man, it's, it's, it's an unclear situation because this mm-hmm. happened a very, very long time ago. And especially where the Betrayer Guards are concerned, not a lot of... Uh, historical records were left behind. They didn't care about posterity. They cared about winning. Yeah. And, you know, they would, you know, like like any vile villain does, they, they would sacrifice their, you know, their pawns in order to get what they want. So not a lot of, not a lot of really good, solid, concrete history has been left behind. Interesting. But, uh, but these whether people or not they were left behind. And so they're, they, they've exactly. been trying to forge their own societies after that calamity. 
Exactly. And so the, the Korean dynasty has risen from the ashes as a sort of powerful uh, uh, fantasy government with big castles and things like that. Um, but there are also people who are just scattered completely uh, across the waste as well. Um, there were a lot of dragonborn in the south who escaped from the clutches of Tiamat. Uh, there are orcs and goblins in the north who came together to form a very interesting civilization called Jigao. Um, a lot of wandering sort of nomadic clans, both orcs and goblins alike, eventually reached a point where they needed to collaborate and work together to survive. Because like I said earlier, uh, the wastes of Jorhas are not a not a uh, hospitable place. There's gigantic megafauna, there's demons, there's, uh, you know, the weather is terrible. Um, and so uh, these, these two people uh, kind of formed a bond of fellowship. And then later on, the Korean dynasty was like, ah, you're living in Korean territory. So we are going to oversee the governance of your people from here on out. So there's a, there's a real tension there. Um, the, 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 the Korean are, uh, really, they're quite morally gray. Wildman is really a, a very morally gray place because uh, on one hand, they are... Uh, they're pretty much the good guys. They escaped from the clutches of the betrayer god and they're trying to make Jorhas a nice, safe, habitable place. But they also have this kind of sort of colonialist twinge to them where they're like, yeah, well, but but we own this and you're going to follow our laws. Yeah. Our um, charter says that we own this. And it, yeah. And the people of Jigao are like, but we, what's a charter? We, we've lived here. Yeah. This exactly. is our place. Yeah. Um, and and Jigao is where this adventure begins. Um, oh, okay. We actually encourage... Uh, people beginning this adventure to play as the types of characters that would exist in Jorhas. Um, we have a lot of stat blocks in Explorers Got to Wildmount, for example, that have like goblin stats, hobgoblin stats, orc stats. Um, and if there's there's an illustration in the book that has like a, a lizard folk paladin riding a big armored giant lizard, there's like a, a drow barbarian uh, and this very cool sort of hobgoblin mage. They were like, let's let's play these classic, uh, you know, fantasy air quote villain types, uh, kind of against type, and give give you something new and interesting and a little unexpected to play with here in this adventure. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I love. I hope people do because everyone loves rolling up interesting, <laughs> strange characters. Uh, yeah, there's so many. As soon as they pop up, people want to do that. So, and studying that in Jigao makes a makes a lot of sense. So, what what can you tell me about the specifics of that settlement? What does that feel like? Yeah, Jigao has a very sort of jumbled together feel. Um, in fact, the, the the part of town you start in is called the Jumbles, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a great Max Dunbar illustration showing. Uh, a festival going on in the jumbles at the time the adventure begins. All sorts of festival games are going on, pie-eating contests, riddling contests, arm wrestling contests, because a great cultural hallmark of Jigao is bragging. Uh, mm. as, as is the case in a lot of sort of ancient, uh, ancient cultures, you go out and do great deeds, and then you, you come home and you it. tell tall tales about it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, the the sort of uh, looming shadow of the Korean dynasty is very okay with this because it means that uh, people will will tend to uh, uh, settle conflicts by 
uh, by having sort of duels of tall tales rather than getting into actual uh, uh, violence in their town, just forcing the forcing the, uh, the the Korean police force, the Aurora Watch, to get involved. Um, and so this I, just, are, oh, are, is yeah, the Aurora ahead. Watch a a presence in Jigao right now? It is. It is. Mm. Um, it, it, uh, I think this illustration has already been shown on a D&D Beyond stream or something like that, but you can see that like on, on the, the, the roads of Jigao, there's a bunch of like goblin kids running around that have just stolen a pie from a cart. But then high up, kind of looming above on the scaffolds, you see the Aurora Watch and their shiny sort of insectoid-looking armor, just kind of leering down, looking down, seeing what all is going on in the streets, making sure that uh, that order is maintained, despite this very fun and chaotic festival going on uh, amidst it all. That makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that. There's that you know immediate tension there between the people yeah. who've been... You know the somewhat natives and been there the long time versus this this new power yeah. of, of the Korean dynasty uh, uh, coming in here. And amidst this tension, there's a tension that begins for the player characters as well. Uh, we've talked a lot uh, in the the ramp up to this adventure about a rival adventuring party, and uh, <laughs> some people have have worried. Well, my players, the first time they come into conflict with these rivals, they'll probably just kill them. Uh, you know, that's you know sometimes that's just how D and D goes. You know, you get into a combat encounter and there's a bad guy in front. Of you. You're like, oh well, we'll drop them to zero hit points and move on. Um, we were very we were very aware of that because the first time you're going to come into contact with this rival party is going to be in like the lowest stakes zero mm. zero violencist uh, setting you can imagine, which could be like a pie eating contest or right. a swimming contest or something like that. So you get the chance to meet these people, uh, but the the blades have not been drawn yet. Yeah. Well, and I also, I mean, there's many ways DMs can introduce this rival party, but absolutely, you know, the best way to do it, I think, is they were they're on the same team to start, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, and then uh, <laughs> something goes wrong, right? I'm thinking of the the Sean Bean and National Treasure, right? Mm. Where like you know, at first they're all working together, <laughs> but then they realize they actually become rivals as the course that goes on, right? And that's almost more makes them more rivals than anything else. It's like, hey, I trusted you, and you 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 betrayed me. Just yeah, like betrayer gods. Uh, all right. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, there's another settlement in uh, Zorhas, uh, which I want to make sure we talk about, which is Bazozan, right? Yes. Um, now, if if the Aurora Watch felt like kind of an oppressive force in Jigao, kind of looming from the shadows, uh, they're very much an underdog heroic force in Bazozan. Like I said, there's a lot of shades of gray to all of the stuff that goes on in Zorhas because it's just a, a rough place to live. People do a lot of uh, ambiguous stuff in order to survive. Bazozan is a military outpost uh, in a place called the Barbed Fields, one of the places where the scars of the calamity are clearest, such that huge towering fingers of uh, of sharp rock have Mm. been cleaved out of the ground and loom over everything. And against the rusty red mountains of the Penumbra Range, a black-walled cathedral called the Betrayer's Rise looms over all of it. Um, This place was visited very briefly in Campaign 2, and a tiny fragment of the infinite abyssal dungeons beneath it was explored. This is a place that Matt and I talked a whole lot about because... uh, the Betrayer's Rise truly is, much like the uh, the abyss to which it has ties, uh, is an ever-shifting, near-infinite 
labyrinth of evil. Um, And so we had to, we had to kind of dissect a tiny sliver of it that could be and place it into this adventure, kind of with the understanding that uh, if dungeon masters want even more betrayers rise, uh, they can use some of the the tips and tricks we've left behind to expand the dungeon as much as they want. Almost like a Dungeon of the Mad Mage kind of was for... Yeah, very for similar. And in fact, I'll bet you could take some of the levels out of Dungeon of the Mad Mage and just, you know, graft them on. Or any of and, your favorite mega dungeons that you've got yeah. out there printed and, and, and place it here for fans. Um, Absolutely. So uh, there's the Betrayer's Rise. Demons are constantly kind of pushing at its boundaries, trying to get out all of these nasty remnants of the calamity that have all been kind of pushed inside. Um, oh, so that's that's what happened there. So who who was the uh, force that pushed them inside? <laughs> um, maybe pushed inside is the wrong word. They they were it was, it's almost like a hive where uh, where demons were lurking and sleeping, kind of waiting in the wings I to see. be to to receive their cue from the betrayer gods to come out onto the grand stage of the world. Almost and, almost like the other peoples that we were just talking about. These mm. these demons and monsters and things have been just as abandoned and just as as have to figure out what they're going to do in all this. Time. Yeah, and this is, yeah. this is just where they've congregated. Is in this this absolutely this below this uh, this betrayer's rise. This cathedral uh, was once kind of like a an, an outpost for several of the betrayer gods' forces. There was a great battle that happened there um, between Avandra the Changebringer. And Torog, the crawling king, a god of worms and devouring uh, hunger. And uh, essentially, everything was all dormant and sleepy in there until the Kreen dynasty rolled up thinking, well, this is a cool base. Let's take a look at what's inside and crack the doors open. And suddenly all of these uh, demons began to awaken and rifts to the abyss kind of began to shutter open. Uh, and yeah, oops. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a box you should keep closed, Pandora. Um, and uh, thus far, because this, uh, this cathedral, this darkened dungeon is uh, uh, effectively infinite, they haven't found a way to get to the bottom of everything and close it back up again. So now the Aurora Watch is permanently forced to uh, make it make a camp there that is kind of sprawled out from being just soldiers into families of soldiers, into herbalists, into supply trains, and it's become quite a big town that is just it's it's you know constantly struck by demon attacks. No one there is happy. Everyone there is a little traumatized, mm. and people are just doing their best to hang on. And that's where and unfortunately come the prophet. You have to go there. Yeah. In 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 following uh the call of the Nether Deep, such as it is. I love that. All right, cool. Well, those are two really evocative locations, but I love how they are, you know, two different sides of the same scale of what we're talking about here in mm. the greater um uh, area of Zorhas uh that players can explore. And I love that the dungeon masters can, you know, weave players through this in a very linear narrative way or you can almost you know based on all the information you're here giving as well as what's in the book use this as much more of an open campaign too right mm-hmm. absolutely like we're talking about yeah call the narrative stuff. definitely has a clear story to it i love adventures with a clear story but i think we also gave you enough tools to really spin it out into a globetrotting adventure of your own if uh, if you want to divert from the main quest a little bit and I love that those two settlements that we just were talking about could also just be lifted and put into any homebrew setting, you know, with a little bit of facelift based on your own campaign and story there. A hundred percent. 
Cool stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks, James, for coming on and talking through all of these uh, wonderful bits of lore here in Exandria. It's, I love learning about uh, all of them. And I know D&D fans out there, too, so, so we appreciate you. Um, how can people find out more about what you're doing and, and uh, perhaps some even more fun stuff about what's going on in Exandria? If you want to hear me rant and rave about the cool gaming projects uh, I'm working on, whether it's D&D or Critical Role or something else, you can find me on Twitter at James J. Hake. Awesome. Well, thanks again, James. And uh, we'll be hopefully knocking on your door with <laughs> some demons that need to be put back in their hole. <laughs> thanks so much, Greg. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks a lot. I love learning so much about the lore of Zorhas with James. He's, uh, you know, got all that in his head. And so it's like, you know, yeah. being able to pull out those lore threads makes me feel like I Like am a mind flare. A mind flare, right. Yeah. I can see you just standing over him just, oh, here's a thread. And pulling that little lore thread out. Yes, uh, and I can't wait to adventure in the land of Zorhas as well as many other locales in that fun book. Yeah, it's good mm-hmm. stuff. We are going to dive nether deep in it. <laughs> You're nether deep in it now. <laughs> That's Rolling in the nether deep. Okay. Rolling in. Oh, God, we got some Adele. We're very musically today. Very, very yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, but that's all going to end because we are going to talk to uh, an amazing person who I don't think has a musical background, but it's still who exciting knows? to say the least. Let's get Navar Seek Jackson on the horn. Everyone, let's welcome Navar Seek Jackson to Dragon Talk. Yes! Yes! Thank you. Yes. Thank you so for being excited. here. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. You have a podcast voice, uh, I think people but, <laughs> would say. Thank you, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it until I started doing it and people started saying something about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's beneficial, I think. <laughs> you had no choice but yeah. to go into podcasting. Yeah, I should have done it sooner. I would have been smarter of me. Who knew? Well, we're glad you're doing it now. You're the, you. uh, the creator and host of the Secret Nerd podcast. Uh, yeah. why, why is it a secret? Uh, so it's really more of um kind of like a an irony of name like i when i was younger uh i kind of lived between multiple worlds uh, in a lot of different ways and one of those things was being a nerd but not like not wanting to be bullied uh and not wanting to have to deal with that and so as i got older and started to uh i guess just be more myself and wanted to like embrace a lot of stuff that I left behind or didn't really talk about. Um, I thought about all the things that we hide as people growing up. And um, yeah, and so Secret Nerd is kind of where that came from of just, you know, talking about the things that we maybe were ashamed of, or maybe we got picked on about, or maybe whatever, like, or maybe we just embrace and, you know, we can show other people how to embrace those things too. So yeah, that's really cool. Thank it you. is. And you have, so obviously you invite guests on your show to talk about their secret nerd passion. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. change, do they use like, you know, voice modification as well? So <laughs> yeah. they're just not, yeah. not, I, I, like I don't do video because I don't dragons. have to do the shadow, uh, <laughs> you know, like the dateline thing. Yeah. Um, yeah no, it, I, yeah, I invite different people on. I, I love making it a space where I can platform people from diverse and inclusive backgrounds um, to show that 
you know, these games are for everyone um, and that we can uh, embrace those things, those diversities and, um, and, you know, people from different communities because they have stories to tell and because um, those stories can help enrich our own stories. Uh, I mean, the things that I've learned from, gosh, the now 46 guests that I have interviewed um, have been absolutely incredible. And I am, I'm super grateful for all the stories that people share. Um, And it's amazing. And I'm excited to just continue doing that and learning more. I love that idea of there being these different parts of yourself that you share with different groups, right? Because I remember being a kid in the 80s and uh, sharing, you know, my love of D&D. And then, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily ever got bullied, but I definitely was like, oh, really? You're into yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, and then also from my parents who were very Catholic, uh, you know, I learned at a very early age not to share yeah. certain things with mm-hmm. them because there would be repercussions that I wasn't able to do. So I, 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 I kind of love that idea that people get to talk about it on your podcast now, but that there's also this uplifting nature of like, you don't have to be secret anymore. You can, yeah. you can, you can kind of out yourself as a nerd, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and let that freak flag fly. Yeah. And I just love that we've come so, so much, uh, as a society from the eighties where that was a lot more prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea of it being a celebration is something, uh, that I really love. And, um, and it's helped me, I think, you know, in a space where I didn't have any kind of following whatsoever, like literally started with, you know, I, I played this game with three of my friends and that's it. Like we didn't branch out. We didn't talk to other people about it. Like it was just, that's what we did and started a podcast where nobody on the internet who I knew who I was. Um, and then have now kind of created this reputation of being, um, a gracious host and somebody who, um, like lives and breathes allyship and like is willing to like promote and uplift other people like that has been really cool um to see and and you know to hear people's feedback just randomly to just be like yeah oh, yeah you know check out navar he's really gracious and he does these things and he's doing something wonderful for the community um it's like you want to do this when you when you set out and you don't really know how it's going to land and so to see it uh landing with people has been amazing Absolutely. It sounds yeah. a lot like Dragon Talk, right? Of us <laughs> lifting yeah. up as many uh, people from those uh, you know, negative stereotypes in the past. I think that was yeah. always a tenet. Even when we started this back in you know, 2015, 2014, there was still a little bit of that like, oh, is D&D really that cool? Yeah. And now we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> no it is. And yeah. it's just through allowing people to share their passion uh, is, is really good. So I'm glad, I'm glad you are... are uh, Doing the same thing like any good D and D party would, yeah, or should at least, yeah, should, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the three the three friends that you play D and D with. So how how did you all come to discover D and D? So my best friend, uh, we've been friends for close to twenty five years. I think is now because I mean, once twenty twenty happened, time stopped right. working correctly. <laughs> Uh, but it's been, yeah, a long time, over 20 years for sure. And, um, so when we, when we were, when I was in college, he moved out to Kentucky with me, we lived together. Um, and we played with one of our roommates, uh, and it was like a thing, like he would just disappear on the weekends and we wouldn't know where he went. 
and then, and he <laughs> so had mysterious. all these books. Yeah, I know. And like, I've always loved fantasy fiction. Um, and so we had a bunch of fantasy fiction books too. So we were talking about stuff. And then one day I found like the D and D books and we talked about that. And he was like, why don't you guys come with me and play? Uh, and so we went and played and we went to this guy's house and it was like a classic, like in a basement, um, you know, uh, dude's wife was upstairs, like away from everybody. Um, it was all, all cis male at the time. Um, we like played on grid paper with minis and, uh, yeah. And so it was really cool though. It, the experience of playing D and D was really cool for me just to, because, um, I love the genre and I love character creation and being able to like learn like, oh, you can create this thing and they can look however you want them to look. They can act however you want them to act. And you can do whatever you want to do, you know, within the restraints of the rules. Uh, and I absolutely latched on that, onto that immediately. Um, this was in the 3.5 era. So it was right around the time too that Eberron came out. Mm. And so I got to play a shifter as my first uh, shifter ranger as my first uh, character. That's cool. Yeah, it was that awesome. was my first time too in the three point five era, right when nice. Eberron came out. Yeah, yeah, that was. A, I mean, that was a great, great setting. Is a great setting, and uh, yeah, three point five was a lot of fun. I don't remember much of like how the rules played out for me or anything like that. I do remember just being excited to like, yeah, I'm gonna hunt deer for the party, and you know, we got to fight a giant and like things like that. It was just. Super cool. Um, and then my other two friends, I think they didn't get into it until uh, within like the past four years. Uh, I want to say um, my other friend, Bernardo, he he joined his now fiance's game. And that's how they met, I believe. Mm. Uh, and then whenever we were going to start playing together a couple years ago, he invited our other friend, Cree. And that's when the first time that she got to play. And um, yeah, and those are actually the first three episodes on my podcast are, my, are those three friends. And okay. so, yeah. And so we, we got to play together. We played um, fifth edition and we were going to join a different person's game. And that just like, it was taking a lot of time to, to happen. So I talked to my friend Bernardo and I was like, look, I have an idea for a setting um, and I, I've never ran a D&D, so I would love it if you would run the game and I can write the setting and just give you that to work with. And oh. so, yeah, we just cooperatively made this game. I gave him, like, the pieces, and then he started writing um, the campaign side of it, and I got to be a player in that. So, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So you were, right, like, creating the world? Yes, and then the the you would give that to the dungeon master, and he would build a campaign around that. Yeah, yeah. So I would de- I designed a world map. I set up like how we got to where we are in the space. I wrote like a few of the cities and stuff, um, and then just kind of handed it over to him and said, you know, take us away. And that's that's where we started. Um, and so there was some uh, cooperative like world building where. Uh, you know, he would like set up a dungeon and then he'd ride in a little town and then I would go and like flesh out that town and kind of go from there. Were you? Oh, that's so cool. That that's is really cool. cool. Thank you. Yeah. I think it would be even cooler if you were the um, the party's lore master, right? Like if you were yeah. the person, if you were playing like as a bard or something that was like, I don't know all this stuff <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I made it up. <laughs> well, that's kind of what, what ended right up now. happening. Was like, so I was playing a, um, a Gloomstalker Ranger Mm-hmm. Uh, with a multi-class of fighter. And I, I ended up like, there were situations that 
he would just like DM me and be like, okay, your character knows where this thing is or whatever. Cause I was like the person that would like lead, lead the party to where we were going to go. Um, as time went by, we got busier and busier and uh, I wanted to play cause now I'm addicted and you're just like taking it away from me. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, he had family responsibilities. Uh, he wasn't just being a jerk. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I'll try my hand at DMing. So I, um, I was like, I'll write a one shot. So this, Basically, this the story that we originally started with was a war that had gone on for 20 years, and that's kind of where our players started. Um, and like, how do they what how do they spend those 20 years? Like, and then that's who they are as characters now because we were starting at fifth level. And I went back to when the war started, the day the war started, and wrote a one shot for that. And my players all played different characters, and they all played evil or kind of evil characters. So when I wrote it, I was writing it much like many DMs do, like this is how this is going to go exactly. And I was like, they're going to save the town they're, or they're going to try. Because uh, this is a one shot. I was like, if they die, it's not the end of the world. Um, I was like, they're going to save the town and they're going to do these things. And then they were like, oh, this war starting? Yeah, we should leave. We should just get out and just avoid this whole fight. And I was like, Uh-oh. okay. <laughs> so now I got to improvise. And that was like, that was really cool because that turned on, oh, okay, Navar, you can improvise. You can do this. You can react very well, actually, to these situations. And it completely changed what I thought was going to be my GM style to, like, what it is now to where I just react to what the players do. So um, how I got to hear more about that because yeah. our listeners know that that's exactly what killed me when I tried DMing is yeah. when the, the players did not do what I thought they were going to do. And so <laughs> yes. I was just like, well, I, I don't know what to do. And I just <laughs> gave up. But you're so how did it change you? And really, like, what did you do in that game? And you were like, oh, so you don't want to stay here? Yeah. Oh, so how what did you do? So I my like I originally set up a fight. They were being attacked by some assassins. Um and when that fight ended, they were like, Well, we're just gonna leave. And I was like, Okay, so give me, let's come back next week and I'll I'll figure this out. And that's when I was like, Okay, if they're not gonna do what I think they're gonna do, then I need to have basically other scenarios. So I'm a daydreamer for what, you know, like a lot of my prepping is just like imagining how characters will react and then imagining how they could react a different way and just setting up an outline in my head of like, we could either do this thing or this thing and either of these work depending on the path that they take and I can adjust Mm -hmm. without that or with that. So yeah, so they took off and I just, you know, had other enemies were pouring in from the other parts of the town trying to get them as they were trying to escape. And then they escaped and um, I was like, okay, well, you know, where do you want to go next? And like, well, let's just try to get to the next town over. And then, so I came up with another town and, uh, and put them through other situations and like would throw NPCs at them who would give them other plot hooks and stuff. Um, yeah. And it just basically worked out to where I could kind of get a sense of where they were going and then just, because I was constantly thinking about playing the game, I could just think about ideas of how to adjust for that. Um, And to this day, I I really, outside of map building and like specific like lore stuff, if I need to, I really don't do a lot of prep for any campaign. Yeah. Oh, you and Greg, Greg's the same way. Greg (laughs) will be like literally like two minutes before DMing. Oh, what what should happen to that? What's going on? Um, Sometimes you you know, you want to have an extra bit of lore or something yeah. ahead of time. But yeah. it's usually, you know, like an hour or two before is when I'll yeah. be like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I'm gonna, I'll write something up quick and then read that during the session or something. And that 
that kind of spontaneity, I think, is uh, it can be really fun. And yeah. fun, fun for the the DM. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of like, I don't know where this is totally going either. Like, you get to flex that that creative muscle along with the players as yeah. well. You know? Yeah, and I didn't. I like. I never wanted to be somebody who. Um, like railroaded the characters or the players either. Yeah. Uh, and so it was important for me, even though I am like, I come from uh, like a writing background, like I'm not published, but I just, I've always done it my whole life. And even though like I love world building, I didn't want it to just be my story. Yeah. Um, so I would, I, you know, I can, to me, it's like, I can fill in these things and the world is still going to go on without you. Like if you don't go do this thing, like these people are still going to do what they're going to do. You just mm-hmm. aren't a part of that. And you might find out consequences or situations of that later. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't go do what you want to do. And so just kind of like thinking of it that way, um, you know, maybe writing a little timeline, stuff like that. Um, and then just finding interest, interesting monsters for them to fight. Uh, that's always the, the other fun part. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that. It's like what, um, do you make up your own monsters? Do you kind of get inspired by what's already published out there? Um, I definitely get inspired by what's published. I'm a, a visual person too. I, I've done a lot of uh, artwork throughout my life. So I love, you know, monster manuals and things like that. Just looking at the pictures and seeing um, what's there and and um, just trying to figure out how to make it interesting. I like to have fights be dynamic as much as I can. So uh, letting the characters, um, creating situations where they have to move around and not just sit in one spot and just do as many attacks as I can. Uh, and so, yeah, so I try to find interesting monsters that way. I did a a fight once I led them to, um, I led them to a place where they were trying to find this merchant's son. Um, they find him in this creepy house. He won't let them in the house and he, uh, he makes them camp outside and then he convinces them to go with him because he found, he saw this dragon and a giant fighting and he thinks that there may be gold where they were fighting. So he convinces them to go. And so they agree and they get to the site and it's like this uh, Cyclops who's wounded and dying um, in a cave. And there's this like pool and then some gold on the other side of the pool. And so they go into it um, and they see a little pseudo dragon like fly away and they don't know what that's about. And then this black dragon comes down, uh, like a young black dragon comes down and attacks them and they get into this fight. And it was like flying through the cave and stuff like that. And um, So yeah, I just like to just make it like, one, I like to bring dragons in as soon as possible because they're cool. And yes. <laughs> it's on the book. It's um, in the name. I, I, yeah, I yeah. totally agree. We always <laughs> yeah. talk about this. Like new players, if they're playing D&D and they don't get a dragon, they get, yeah. they're like, where's, the dragon. Like, that's yeah. the first question. <laughs> we got yeah, dungeons. We got you dungeons. Promise me a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love bringing in a dragon early. Um, and yeah. And then, and then, you know, they get some gold and some treasure and they get to figure out, like, okay, well, what do we do with this? Um, and we didn't get to finish that one, but uh, had they finished it or had they dug a little deeper, they would have found out that the son that they rescued was actually a doppelganger <gasps> and a serial killer. Whoa. And yeah. I'm I'm so sorry they didn't get to learn that. <laughs> I know, me too. I'm so mad. Um, but it was going to come up eventually. We just haven't played that campaign in so long, just as COVID and everything else goes on, you know. Right? A serial killing doppelganger. <sighs> and yeah. now they're going to be listening to this podcast and be like, wait, Uh-oh. you didn't tell us that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, well, now, like, that could just be an NPC in any of these campaigns, and they're just not going to know who. 
Yeah, exactly. They'll just never know who the doppelganger is. Mm-hmm. And that's always the funniest thing when they they don't know who to trust. And you'll watch them be like, this character that saved you 16 times, like you still insight check everything they do. <laughs> and then this random stranger will walk up to you and be like, follow me. And you're like, okay. Right. <laughs> DMs fiat, you can just yeah. be like, yep, no, they, I trust them implicitly. And you're like, but should you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. You're not going to roll for that? Okay. Yeah. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's hard as a DM too. You're like, oh, you're, you're not going to roll for check for traps? Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me get out 16 dice real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the good side. <laughs> no reason. No reason. Yeah. Oh, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> That'll learn you. Um, so well, you love, go ahead, Shelly. Nope, you. I mean, because I'm gonna <laughs> switch, so I want you to go first. No, I was gonna switch too. So, oh, okay. Well, I was gonna. Yeah, so you you are you're a dad. Yes. Um, how old are your kids? Uh, four and under. Four and okay, so they're still a little young for babies. Yep. Babies. Are you? Is there anything you're doing that's like you know priming them, or do you see like sparkles <sighs> of nerd in them popping up? Uh, my son, for sure. Um, I have two girls and a boy. My son, for sure, wow, will sit down. Four? I know. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. Story. I bet. Gosh, that's really 20, exciting. 2020 yeah. was a fun year. For you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So my my son um, is very much like me. Like you give him something to draw on, and he will just focus in on oh. that and not look back. Um, but they all like to read and stuff. Um, it's it's one of those things. Like I don't it's tough because they're still young enough where like dice could create issues if they, you know, mess around with them too much. Um, But I will like, you know, tell them fantasy stories um, that I'll just invent. uh, And like, we'll play like monster and stuff like that. Um, And, you know, things like that. I think as they get a little bit older, I'll start to introduce things and like create a, you know, there's, well, I should say there are systems out there uh, for folks um, who want to play games with their kids. There are systems that are like, created for children. Um, but yeah, I think it's just for myself with the three of them, I got to wait until like attention spans kind of oh, even yeah, out and sure. like things calm down a little bit. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get into it. But abs- absolutely. I, I want them to play um, as long as they, as long as that's what they want to do. That's always the hard thing too. It's like, you don't want to uh, force it down their throats to be like, you're going to like everything that I like. You have to yeah. allow for it. Like, like a dungeon master, you have to be like, here's the seed. Here's yeah. the, here's the, here's the, uh, you know, the, the, the quest NPC yeah. uh, of, of D and D. Do you want to go down this path and, and continue? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll just write a Encanto themed uh, uh, campaign and then they'll just be excited. And I'll be like, you get to be Luisa. <laughs> I think it's a great tactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? She's definitely the fighter, the barbarian. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the ranger uh, who can hear everything. <laughs> yeah. I think Mirabelle's probably a cleric. It might be. That's what I feel. I feel I, like she's a cleric. I see, see her more as a, more just like, as a like leader. Like a bard? Yeah, like, yeah. No, I was thinking more like a paladin, really. Yeah. Because well, she's always too. trying to carry the weight of the the whole house on her. I, who knows we were going to go down? What, what class... I don't know, but I'm I'm here for it. I like it. <laughs> Who knows? We'll what about out. Bruno? Bruno is definitely a uh, diviner, don't, right? Don't talk about yeah. Bruno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that song is amazing. Uh, oh, yeah, it's in my sure head again. It. God, yeah. it had been at least 17 hours since I had that in my head, and now it's back. No, it's Thanks. literally every morning on the way to daycare. Yeah, we listen to it. So I like how it's because re- that was I was the Frozen era. My girls were yeah. definitely Frozen and Frozen too. They still are to a certain extent. Yeah, but. I like that there's this this cyclical nature of uh, annoying slash amazing Disney songs <laughs> yeah. that parents have to be subjected to their entire lives. Yeah. At least the Encanto one is like, it, it has good songs. Like my wife will listen to that just to listen to it without the kids. So, yeah, it is good. Um, I feel my Spotify surface- wrapped is going to be destroyed because of Encanto, but you know, what are you going to do? Surface pressure kind of it was <laughs> everybody in 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seriously. I felt it. I felt it. <laughs> and I put it on my mix. I think it's on my like, you know, in my playlist now because it is uh, not only That's a great a song. Song of the time. I, I feel it. I feel it in my heart. <laughs> yep. What were we talking about? Me being a dad. Oh, yeah. right. Okay, playing, playing games with the kids. Playing D&D. Yes. So you yeah. said monster. <laughs> is, I want Because I, I did that when my kids were very little and they still ask me to do it now when they're eight and ten. And yeah. Like, yeah. You guys are too fast. I can't. Because it was always the thing like, oh, I'm the slow moving monster yeah. who's trying to get the tickle monster. <laughs> And they're just so fast, they just get too far. Yeah. I'm like, like I got not- bad knees. Yeah, um, it's no fun when you get older <laughs> as a parent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, just the the dinosaurs, they love dinosaurs. So mm. like, uh, just pretending to be that. And we take turns. Like sometimes they'll be the dinosaur or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, we just, we have a pretty, pretty decent sized living room and a playroom that's connected with the barn door. And so, um, you know, I just chase them around and and growl and, uh, carry some of them and and then lay down and let them climb all over me. I just I love being a dad, so yeah, you know, whatever whatever like I can it. do to entertain them. You can be <laughs> like, I'm a beholder, <laughs> yeah. I'm an owl bear, <laughs> disintegration ray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say before I rudely interrupted you, Greg? Well, I was gonna uh, talk about you know the kind of things that you've learned from talking to people. We don't usually. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked to a lot of people who do like streaming uh, and, yeah. and, and as well, but like I wonder if there's any insights or something that you were just really excited to learn about your guests as they shared their their, their secret nerddom with you and, and uh, you know, any kind of nuggets of wisdom you might have gleaned from them. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big things that um, a lot of people talk about is like how it has, how gaming has helped them navigate uh, gender and sexuality, mm. um, which is really cool that there's something out there that, you know, we can all enjoy that and that does that for folks. Um, and so that has always been like, those are always really good stories. Um, I think as well, a lot of times we talk about representation because 95% of my, my guests are from diverse backgrounds, uh, like non-white. And so they, I mean, we're talking about like what it was like to grow up where they grew up and, you know, what that demographic was like and how that affected them. And then when they came into gaming, you know, how did how did games either reinforce or help them navigate some of those situations, right? Like if you have folks who are older who grew up, you know, in AD&D drow times, you have a different experience, Um and then maybe somebody who's coming into it now and it's like, you know, uh, you understand the drow as a, as a different thing because of things, how they've been rewritten for the better. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I love hearing stories about how people have navigated that stuff. Um, you know, some, some people, uh, myself included, just assumed that like 
you know, the human race wasn't for us because it was never, um, we never felt like it was portrayed as people of color uh, or that it was coded that way. And so we get that a lot of like, so I just played a, um, a different class, like a shifter or a, a elf or a half elf or something. Um, and then other folks who like kind of go through it and don't realize it's, they're doing it that way because uh, until later on in life when they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's why that happened. Hmm, that's interesting. That is interesting. I don't think I've yeah. ever heard that quite articulated as that, that, uh, playing um, different races in D anD D was similar to the othering they might have felt in 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 society as a whole. Yeah, I mean, and how, to, and how to deal with that in a safe way without without feeling like you know you're just bringing oppression with you into the game. Yeah, it you know, um, I think all of the the systems are, or I should say, most of the systems are doing a better job of of trying to rewrite some of that stuff and trying to make people feel more included and more represented in the work. Uh, but there have definitely been things that are, are coded in a way that, that if you were from a certain demographic, you, you read that completely different mm. and it's hard. Um, it's hard not to, unless you're just like, you don't want to engage with that, you know, subconsciously and you might just turn it off or you're not concerned, whatever it is. Like some people just don't um, even like POC sometimes don't, engage with it. Uh, other times, though, a lot of us will look at it and go, mm, that seems like I've heard this described about me or my people in a negative way as well. And I don't, I don't enjoy that. Um, and so you get that a lot with the drow uh, originally with the orcs, um, things like that. And so it's hard. Uh, sometimes you just like, I would just, I want to find something that makes me feel good to play. Um, or I want to play this and play it in a good way against what it's supposed to be right be the hero right like yeah. have have you know some of those uh ideas in there but still be like i can i can overcome and yeah and do that which uh which is also a very hard thing right like i think yeah. that's a lot of the the um cr uh, criticisms or critiques of uh r.a salvatore's novels and mm -hmm. drist was yeah. that it is this model you know, model immigrant or you know, mm -hmm. model minority, uh, yeah. which can feel almost as oppressive as as the other things. But you know, still, a lot of people also really identify with that character because yeah. he's he's navigating a lot of the same you know thoughts and feelings that that, that uh, different demographics do. Yeah, and I think like for me, I I read I've read the first six uh, Driss novels, and I I enjoyed them. And I think for myself, it was like I'll take the lore at face value. Like I don't like it, but I take it at face value. And yeah, Drist is a hero and he's just a great hero in general, regardless of where he comes from, but it's really cool. And I think that Ari Salvatore has done a lot of good things as well. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, he's still coming from, from his own background, which, you know, didn't identify with that specifically. He just wanted to write a great story about a drow. Um, it worked out that he uh, didn't have like a ton of racist <laughs> sentimentalities that it, you know, turned into a very awful thing. And he's doing more now to to continue to improve on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's kind of like that balancing act of like, okay, I don't like where this started, but um, if I take it for what it is, like I'm, I'm excited about Drist as a hero. So, and there's yeah. growth all around, yeah. right? I think, yeah. I think, you know, the world that we are in now is very different from 
you know, 1987, even when, when I think yeah. I first wrote it, right? And it's changed and morphed and grown since then. Uh, yeah. And you're right, I love how Starlight Enclave and a lot of the lore around Drow are showing them as uh, a very wide breadth of, mm-hmm. of people with different, you know, some of them have fallen into disgrace with the Lolth and some of them haven't. And I really enjoy, like, you know, seeing that entire spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even in like in my games, like when I talked about when the players wanted to go, like they escaped the first town and they wanted to go to the next town. I was like, okay, so they get to the next town and it's like, you know, there's a certain people that lived here for a long time that, you know, um, they have, you know, brown skin and and curly hair. And then there's other people because this is a trade route that have like moved in and immigrated. So there's like the first inn they go to is like a gnome owned it. And, uh, and, and she was very fussy and neat. And then they got kicked out because they were acting foolish and they go to the other one. And it's like, now this one's owned by a full orc. Um, and you know, he's welcome in the town. Everybody loves him. And he's just, you know, he's okay with beer spilling on the counter or whatever. So, you know, creating places in the game that are diverse as well, I think has been super important. Um, the other thing I've learned a lot from my guests has been, uh, including, including those things in games as well. Because even though I have always been open to everyone's experiences and, um, and you know, anti-racist and stuff like that, like it still wasn't something I thought about to like include somebody who was disabled in the game mm-hmm. or, you know, to make sure, like to make sure I'm including like folks with they, them pronouns and uh, making sure like that just because this job has always been gender specific for a male that, you know, I'll include um, women in that job or, or whatever, like trying to do things like that to, even though it's just me and my friends, make it more represent representative of the world as it is, as opposed to just, you know, being everybody's the same, all guards are men, that kind of stuff. I, I don't know that everybody, I know that not everybody, but I know <laughs> like a lot of people don't realize how important it is to see people like them reflected in a fantasy world. Yeah. Because it's a fantasy world. And like, well, woman, I mean, like you're an elf. Like, what does that <laughs> really mean? But it it is like when you're you're talking about seeing a character in a wheelchair or like mm-hmm. I re- I don't remember which DD book it was, but I just remember like flipping through the pages and it was like a subtle mention of like the innkeeper and his husband. And I was yeah. like, wow, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, and like, or like I know that we've talked to people who remember when they saw the uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica cover and were like moved to tears because there was a depiction of a black woman on the cover, mm-hmm. which like you just, you don't always see the representation in fantasy and people, they don't realize how important it is. And yeah. like, this is a great thing for any for a player for a dungeon master to just remember in your home games in any game especially in a streamed game like it seems like a little thing to like change a pronoun but it's to somebody who's watching that or or listening to it or experiencing it it can mean the world to them to see them represented in that way so i think it's it's just i mean it's obviously something that you're you're doing and we you know love the work that you're doing but it's just it's I, I I love the constant reminder of of how important these things really are to people. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, I had a guest on that talked about like, even if it is your home game, having somebody in your game that has that uses they them pronouns, if you practice not misgendering 
an NPC who doesn't exist outside of your game. Like it's going to help you when you're out in the real world and you meet folks who use they, them pronouns and you, and you get them right. Um, You know, and caring about that and, and learning how to kind of navigate around that, Um, you know, and I, like when I was, I did a a town and the town was kind of set up and we, they were going to go meet with this like city council. And one of the things I was thinking about was like, okay, like this is a place where anybody in the city can come. So as they walked up, they walked up this long ramp instead of using stairs. And like, mm. again, I'm not disabled. I don't use a wheelchair. Um, but it, I just, I, I love having the opportunity to reinforce those things so that, you know, I hope whether it's a game that I'm recording or not, like I hope that people can learn um, to to notice these things, to pay attention to this stuff. And, and hopefully we all just get a little better because of it. And not to say that I'm perfect and I get everything right either. I just, you know, yeah. but I, I, I want to continue working on it. Yeah. And something we always say about Dungeons and Dragons in general, when, 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 you know, trying to introduce it to children or, or families is like, look, there's, it's, it's all about interpersonal relationships. It's all about, you know, building people up and making sure that you know how to cooperate together under the guise of all, you know, trying to slay the dragon and, 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 you know, get all of its riches. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, like there, there, it is what you were just saying about practice. It really is just learning how to practice problem-solving skills and not, you know, pissing off your brother uh, who wants to fight one way. Like f- compromise <laughs> is really what happens mostly at the table. Yeah, and you're right. It is just this this learned muscle type thing. And so, learn having that be also centered around uh, how people are addressed, and you know, the the always thinking about ways for. Uh, accessibility through you know disabled people things like that it is just another form of practice like that again i've never heard that really kind of thought about in this way but now i'm like man yeah i want i want all that in there so that Mm -hmm. it becomes second nature um you know and then it's also really interesting we mentioned about how people were using it to practice perhaps identities for themselves you know that Mm -hmm. they they may not have wanted or even thought about but then here they are able to embody a different gender uh around the table and then realizing hmm Maybe that means something, you know? Right. And yeah. That's really kind of, you know, I don't know. Role-playing just does that, and I don't think any other kind of gaming does. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing to, you know, the other thing that I really get to do is is meet folks from different generations. So, like, I've had mm. guests on who were uh, 50, and I've had guests on who were 22. And it's like, you know, we're, we're all kind of entering this boom at the same time, but, um, or being a part of it, right? And... And yeah, but the experiences are kind of different as well of how how we navigate through it. Um, and it's just amazing to see, you know, how other folks do it. And I love, you know, hopefully somebody can look at the podcast and go, oh, okay, like I've heard of this person or read the description and go, oh, like you're talking about this thing in this situation. Like, I would love to hear that story. Um, hopefully people listen to the whole podcast. Let's be real. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I mean, like, I'm happy if, if people like pick and choose, because I think when you find a story that resonates with you, um, that feeling that you walk away with uh, is so important. And it, and it, and it really, it really can help you understand um you know, just kind of understand the world a little bit better, un- clarify things for yourself, you know, to hear, there's a lot of folks now who are in their late twenties, thirties, uh, whatever, who have gone through life without being diagnosed, um, with, uh, autism, without being diagnosed with ADHD and to hear people tell stories, you might, you might pick up on something and go, Oh my God, like that's me. Like maybe I should talk to somebody about this. Maybe, 
the the thing that has been bothering me my whole life could be this and and that might point them in the direction for help um so yeah anytime people share stories uh as you know it i think it's just so special and i've had people come on and be like or send like a tweet and be like when you have this conversation with this person about this thing like the way that it resonated with me uh was so special and like to me that's amazing and so anytime that i have a guest on where later in my life i'm like oh like I did this thing and this is the person that inspired me. I'm like, let me reach out to them and be like, Hey, look for whatever it's worth, you inspired me to do this thing. And now I've like, I've gotten closure on a situation or whatever it is. And that means the world to me. So thank you so much. And I, I mean, people should share those things. I, I think. agree. Yeah. I, Learning about uh, ADHD in particular uh, <laughs> is something that I've like, man, I mean, I was always, that word was bandied about when I was young a yeah. lot. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't think people really understood it. It was more of a pejorative. <laughs> to, yes, yeah, you know, like oh, that sure. kid's hyperactive. Yeah, put him in a <laughs> special room. Um, yeah. uh, but now I am seeing so much of my life is has been around those tendencies. I don't, I don't know. I've never been diagnosed myself, but I just, yeah. you're right. Just seeing that reflection back has made me think more about you know my own uh, my own work and how I function. Uh, through life, and I would yeah. not have had that if I wasn't listening and and hearing other people uh, very openly talk about their problems and struggles with it. So, well, and here's the thing too: is like there's you know it's proven that uh, a lot of folks have been underdiagnosed, right? Like women, um, POCs, we go underdiagnosed in a lot of these situations, and so it's important to if it's something that you're concerned about or something you just want to get closure on or something you're just curious about. Like, I think it's important to find out and to talk to somebody and find, you know, a therapist that works for you that can help you navigate that thing. Um, because even if it's, even if it ends up not being, you might find out something else or might find coping skills to deal with whatever you're going through. And I think as the world understands ADHD and ASD more, as we continue to like develop more research on it and things like that, like, more people are going like, oh yeah, I wasn't included in this because I didn't present the extreme of whatever, but this information now includes me and it can help me. And I think that that's, that's really cool. So, yeah. And the one thing that is really, I mean, we've said it a couple of times here, but that idea of there being gradations or, yes. you know, it's the, the, the world is not a binary yeah. in, any, in anything, you yeah. know, really. Um, and so realizing that like, you know, yeah, there's, you don't you don't have to be diagnosed or, or 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 identify very strongly with a specific thing, but you can still learn and grow and and come up with a different understanding based on exposure to all these ideas. And so, yeah. you know, nothing does that better than D and D and throwing and throwing people in a group and having them solve all these problems together. Yeah, and uh, as long as you have a lot of these in mind as you're running games or you're doing things like that, so. Speaking of which, I want to circle back a little bit to you mentioned that you were playing with that group that didn't go to the town that went mm-hmm. over, but it was an evil group. Uh, group. <laughs> yeah. So how how I mean I know that's uh, you know an entire other can of worms. I'm glad you yeah. were doing it as a as a one shot because I think that's the best <laughs> format for that type of thing. But how did that inform your 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 thoughts and choices and 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 how can people use that a little bit more safely uh, if they want to run stuff like that? Um. So. For me, I think it was just a matter of understanding motivations. This was at a time when I first started playing, like I wasn't really aware of like lines and veils and things like that. Um, I'm a big believer in safety tools. 
but at the time, I just wasn't aware of like a word for it, right? I had no context yeah. for that. Um, so, you know, it was just a matter of talking to the players and being like, okay, well, what are the kinds of things that you want to do? Like, what are your actual motivations? Um, and so they let me in on those motivations and then, you know, creating a situation where it's like, okay, well, here's, here's things that we can do within this framework that aren't going to create trauma for everybody else. Right. Um, and they weren't like, like maliciously evil, like trying to just slaughter people, but they were just like, we're, we're not heroic. We're more chaotic. We're more just like, take care of ourselves, um, exploit a situation if we can like get money, you know, and it's, it's me over you kind of a thing. And so, yeah, it, but I think it, I think to answer your question, it's, it's very important to, to set up frameworks. It's very important to use safety tools, right? Like we, most people now should really just have that information and be aware of it. I think if you're listening to this, like you've heard it before. Um, and yeah, definitely using that to understand, because I think there's a way, there's ways to play it, right? Like just because you're playing evil characters doesn't mean like, you you need to go in and slaughter an orphanage, right? Like <laughs> that yeah. is that's not the same thing. Like we're talking about two different complete extremes of of, of situation. But it, you know, it can mean like, yeah, we want to you know create political intrigue. We want to like blackmail a character or whatever, like um, things like that. Like okay, now we're talking about a, a game that is a different genre than the hero fantasy, um, but isn't so dangerously traumatic that we're like creating problems. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's, it's just important to talk to your players and to your table really. So we're all on the same page. It's a little bit more like setting up an anti-hero story, right? Like, yeah, uh, like not necessarily breaking bad, but like, you know, that kind of thing where like you can see the motivations and the, 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 uh, methods that they choose are a little bit more open than say a lawful good paladins uh, choices, right? You're just like, okay, I'm all right with, beating up somebody who did bad things in order to get the information needed to, uh, uh, you know, potentially find their boss, right? Like that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I think that's very, very important to be like, we're not going to cross these lines. You know, this yeah. is, you know, Anakin murdering, murdering the younglings <laughs> is is probably out, off of the table for now. Uh, unless yeah. it's, it's discussed and be like, all right, well, that right. is something that yeah. is, you know, we want to explore because, you know, uh, that can be important. And I think there's a lot of people, as long as you have those, op- if you're open with everyone, then you can explore those those themes and feelings a little bit more uh, safely. Yeah. I think, you know, that's a big thing I had a, for the episode that just came out uh, this week um, was with uh, a wonderful streamer, uh, Trooper SJP. And they, uh, he talked about using, you know, like I'm okay with a lot of things as long as I trust you, Right. Like if I'm walking into a table and I trust you and I trust the table and I know that you're going to take care of me, then yes, this is something that we can do. If I don't trust you, we're playing a different game, right? We're, we may play D&D together or whatever, but we're not playing this game where, you know, X, Y, and Z themes are, are set up or, you know, we're in these kind of situations because I don't know how you're going to handle that. And that's, that could create a problem. So it's important to know your boundaries and to know when to say no and, um, like we're, while we're in this this boom of folks like jumping into streams together and doing all this stuff, like it's incredible to see folks coming together, but I, I still think it's so important and most people do now, but like to have those session zeros, to have lines and veils, to build relationships with people and understand like, yeah, like this is, 
This is something that we can do together and create a safe space. Yeah, and it's something that happens in the theater too. I'm just thinking the you know you know there's there's fight choreography, there's things that happen, and it's all about how we make sure we keep the safe environment because there's it's dangerous. What's happening? You know, slightly more dangerous right. than, than everything. But like, let's make sure that we talk through every single step of the way. And if anybody feels unsafe, to make sure to to raise up your hand. And, and that's essentially what the uh, safety tools are. Yeah, it's those guardrails. Yeah, that that stage managers used to provide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things I think that I would love to see more of is a lot of times on Twitter I'll see like you know, a group of, of white folks who are just like casting call for any POC or person of LGBTQ. Mm. And it's like, okay, that's good that you want to include somebody. But I, what I would prefer to see is like people like actually genuinely building relationships with people and then inviting them into play. Because what you're doing a lot of times is creating a situation where somebody's tokenized, where they Maybe you're walking into this because it's a paid opportunity and and that could be good for them. But you know, how that game shakes out is an unknown. And that's that's kind of a scary thing. Um, and not to say that everyone who does that is a bad person by any means, but I think it's like there's so many people out there and there's so many wonderful people out there. To a certain extent, you're obviously willing to reach out to people. So like, why not just genuinely reach out to somebody and get to know them and then create games? Like I think that that would be such a an amazing thing. Like 95% of the people that I've interviewed on my show, I'm like, we are going to play a game together uh, as long as you agree to this because um, we are now friends. I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so, you know, I've gotten to do that. I've gotten to play one shots with folks and, you know, plan stuff for the future. And, um, and the feeling of that, as opposed to me, who's very much an introvert going into a, like an open casting, I mean, it's worlds different. It's a completely different story for me. And I'm sure other people feel the same. I, I also just, for some reason, want to remark on the fact that it's been, you know, such a change from even five years ago of like, there are open casting calls for, <laughs> yeah, for people to do DRPT yeah, streaming shows. Like that's, that was not the case, you know, yeah. very, a very short while ago. Uh, and uh, you're totally right. Like there are people who can, uh, you know, it's something else that someone said. It was like, if you're just working with the same Two or three, uh, you know, POCs that you that you know, each time, yeah. you know, that also means that you probably should expand your horizons and just mm-hmm. you know make it a point to get out there and meet people um, yeah. in different ways. But you know, everybody's that's hard for a lot of folks, and sometimes the only framework that you can make and build relationships with is D anD D. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. a great connector, though. It, it yeah. is. It is. And I think there's certain things like um, there's a wonderful network um, of streamers and and content creators called Utopia, and it's all um, uh, BIPOC. And that like that is is a situation where it's like it makes sense. You join, you're aware of the situation, you know what you're coming into, and so like an open casting call for that makes sense. But it's like when you're just strangers, complete strangers on an internet, and you're just like calling out into the void for somebody to come you know, play a game with you. Like, it just seems so bizarre to me. And maybe it is because I'm such an introvert, but it just seems, to me, it just seems like we could just make, you know, create a friend, right? Like, just generally be like, I like the thing that you do. Can we talk about that for a while and see if we vibe? Yeah. And then go from there. Gaming together is like taking it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's have coffee first. Yeah, yeah, like, let's meet first. Let's get to know each other. Because, I mean, I think about when I would 
you know, put together a and d group or in, invite people to play. Like these are people that I, I know, that I trust, mm-hmm. that I enjoy spending time with. Yeah. So it does seem strange that I would just, anyone? Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit down. Do yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. But, but also, I mean, I don't know about the uh, everyone here, but I've never done like the Tinder or anything like that. That was yeah. way before, no. uh, you know, I got married Freeman. way before that time. Yeah, but that's I've way been more married of a thing. almost 11 years. So, right. And that's, but that's that the, the, the young people that we're talking to now, that's yeah. a lot more normal for them to yeah. just be like, oh, yeah, hey, so I'm, maybe it is not. I'm unusual. connecting with someone who's a complete stranger with me for something extremely intimate, potentially. You know, uh, D&D also, is And we're talking about D&D. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know. Just be careful, folks. Like I, you know, I can't turn off that part of my brain that is a concerned father. Like mm. anytime anybody I know and even remotely care about does something that I feel like could potentially be dangerous, I'm just like, just please, just be careful. <laughs> just, <I don't, laughs> uh, please. Um, Safety I don't want first. To leave, yes. Yeah. My God. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But so. I think you're right. I think I think having those. I mean, that's essentially what a session zero is, or something like that, right? Too. Yeah. It's like building up the relationship and the trust. Is really important. I think you're just the point you're making is just you know do that first before you're like come into my game and start rolling dice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it seems seems like it makes sense. I because I I have friends from you know from the show that have had that situation of just being like, well, I you know I responded to a thing and this is and then I got on it and it was a different experience than what I was expecting. Um, and then you end up not doing it, um, and you know. For, probably for the better, but it's still like now it's like that's wasted time that you had. Um, you know, maybe you turned down other situations because you were already committed to this thing. And so uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's it as much as it's wonderful how much the space is expanding, I think we still we we should still be responsible and and understand, you know, who we're engaging with, how we're engaging, things like that, and just taking it into, into consideration. Because I'm very much aware, you know, of who I am. So, like, especially if I'm reaching out to, uh, you know, anybody that's, like, not a male, essentially, like, I'm just, like, I understand I'm a stranger on the internet. Like, you have zero commitment to even write back to me. I am not, like, I don't want to come off, like, intimidating and trying to, like, or, you know, like, like weird, like, I'm hitting on them or whatever. Like, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm... I always try to lead with respect and and um, and then in return hope that I get that back and I and so far it's been a successful thing, um, but yeah it's you know it's important because that's the other part too is like your your reputation, um, for good or for worse is going to catch up to you right yeah. so like I said you know if people know me as a person who has been very gracious and and helpful and wonderful and stuff like that to them that's what's going to lead but. If you're doing stuff that's shady, somebody eventually is going to talk about it and that's going to catch up to you and that's not going to be good. Very, so. I mean, and that's very important also when you're, when it's as a, as a man trying to yeah. figure out how to uh, make all people comfortable at the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's something that D&D has struggled with, you know, from, from its early days. But now I feel like it is uh, allowed so many, and this is, you know, just harking back to what we were saying earlier, like that's what the power of this game really is, is about bringing people together, solving problems, telling great stories, and then uh, having all of these, these, these safety tools and guardrails that you're talking about here and, and a mutual respect. Um, mm-hmm. And again, us doing this at the table practices us for when we do it in, in, in real life and we're, you know, 
we've got a job where we've got a meeting and we realize like, you know, uh, not talking over people or making sure we're in, 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 including as many different, you know, trains of thought uh, when we're trying to solve any problems uh, at yeah. work, right? And yeah. so, I mean, you, you, have, you have to, you have to, at a certain point, be aware of like, power dynamics too, right? Like I used to, I used to manage a company. I was an operations manager for uh, a construction company here. And so I was in charge of a ton of people, um, many of them uh, women and a lot of them younger than me. And so understanding that, like if I pull them into the office to talk to them about something that I instantly have a situation where I'm in control of this and and that and like understanding that and like trying to reduce as much pressure of that from from them to feel from me and letting them know like we're in a safe space and so I had a lot of people and this is probably where interview shows kind of came together for me it was like <laughs> I had a lot of people that would just like come and spill and talk about stuff and feel comfortable talking to me about it and I think a large part of that was because I I consciously made an effort to not be the biggest personality in the room, not be, you know, taking over and trying to intimidate folks and make them feel a certain way and like coerce people and stuff like that, because I never, ever want to be perceived that way. Um, and I think it's important to understand when you're, when you're in situations, how those things work um, and, and to actively work against it. If, if, if the instant, um, uh, like surveillance of the of the situation is is you're in power. Like you do something so that it doesn't feel that way. So that way you can reduce some of that pressure from the other folks. At least in my opinion. It's like any good dungeon master. You're, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I think I hit the space bar by accident. Uh, like any good dungeon master, you're listening. I was right? thinking yeah. that too. These are all yeah. good dungeon master traits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening to your players is is so important. So um, not only will you one, keep them safer and happier, but you'll learn a lot of cool stuff and you can incorporate later into their games. Unless you don't like improvising, Charlie. <laughs> I mean, it's a Get little better. scary. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, definitely starting to embrace it. But mm-hmm. uh, I, And I do like the don't prep as much because I mean, I'm inherently lazy when it comes to that stuff. So Prepping is stressful. Like you yeah. can overdo it and then you're going to oh, get mad yeah. whenever your players interact with 40% of what you do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, um, excellent stuff all around. Yeah, it sounds like you have a special episode coming up, a special number episode. Yeah, episode fifty. Right. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's kind of bizarre to even like. I mean, uh, the, you know, started last last year in the summer, um, and yeah, so I have. Uh, a really, really cool guest lined up for it. Um, but I'm also going to do a like a special Q&A and um, talk back about with the episodes. And so you recently had on uh, Lexi McQueen, mm-hmm. who is a friend of the show, friend of me. And um, yeah, so her and I are going to collaborate and do a little a little stream together and, and answer nice. some questions and yeah, and just kind of do a special bonus episode for that. That's amazing. That's yeah. Where can people uh, find out about uh, all this and, and where to start listening to Secret Nerd Podcast? Yeah. So um, Secret Nerd Podcast, wherever you pod, uh, you can find me there. Um, you can find me easiest on Twitter, uh, even though I don't like it. Um, Secret NRD Social. It's not that I don't like interacting with people on Twitter. I just don't like Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, to be clear. Um, Secret NRD Social on Twitter. 
and uh, yeah, and on Instagram at Secret Nerd Podcast. Um, and I don't really do any other social media than that. But yeah, um, you know, happy if you you know uh, send me a message or whatever. Um, as long as you're cool, I will happily. <laughs> yeah, and I mean cool and like respectful right. and polite, not in like you have to have a certain number of followers. Um, but yeah, as long as you're cool in that way, then I will, uh, yeah, gladly reach out and talk to you. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Navar. I love uh, uh, all the journeys we took here uh, in discussing uh, what's what's exciting about this hobby. And I'm glad that you're you know you know you're back in it and you you know played from from 3.5 days to now. What are what are campaigns are you playing in right now that you can talk about? Um, so i I haven't played um, five in a little bit. I've been exploring a lot of other games right now. Oh, cool. Um, and so I have like my home games. And um, but I will be guesting on uh, the Everrealm Adventures, uh, which is a five E podcast. Um, it's an all POC podcast that you can find at Everrealm Adventures. I think anywhere. Um, I'll be guesting on that show soon. Uh, I recently guested on Dun- uh, Blackness and Dragons with Jordan, who was also on your show, nice. um, and that was amazing. So if you want to hear me do an imitation of Morgan Freeman as a rancher in the 1900s and uh, early or 1800s. Uh, check that out. <laughs> it's on VOD. Um, yeah. Awesome. And that was really cool. I got to be uh, on their finale on the first day of Black History Month, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess as much as I can, uh, you know, as a, as a father and a husband. Um, but uh, yeah, just, you know, happy to, to play more games and, and get into it. Wonderful. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on. Love it, yep. what you're doing. Uh, thank you. I hope everybody subscribes to Secret Nerd Podcast right now. Please do. Right yeah. Now. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much for having me on. I thank you. It. Yeah. Uh, I loved speaking to Navar Seek Jackson about all of the fun stuff he's doing in this podcast. Definitely. Well, uh, uh, so many good insights. And really seems like a very thoughtful, like not just a dungeon master, but a thoughtful person person yeah absolutely that's so, the type of person you want in your and a good uh, dad your and, and a good, a good dad. dad he really sounds like a good dad i know i know right and that brought me back to when my kids were young too where i'm like oh yeah it used to just be fun to have them jump and crawl all over me and yeah and that was most of our activities it was not yeah, we, that would the, hurt the stuff we do now of uh uh you know watching tv together or playing games together it was just no how can we just entertain you with Physical Dad. comedy. Dad's a jungle gym. Remember That's the daddle that, like the the saddle that a dad could wear when when you're playing horsey with your kid. It was no. called a did daddle. You have a, did you have a daddle? No, I did not have a daddle. I'm not a dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, did did Bart have one? Um, no, I no. don't think that Bart actually had a daddle. But if any, he's like, my back, my back. Well, he <laughs> and my he, asthma. <laughs> he my asthma. Get off me. <laughs> <laughs> they do have them on Amazon if you're looking for a daddle. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, he, Bart had to go to physical therapy once because he was wrestling with Quinn. Yeah, right. I remember yeah. that where he yeah. like bruised Bart's something. spine or something. I know. Like who can keep up? I don't know. There's Whatever. a lot of injuries that happen when you're, when you're <laughs> as young as we are. It's what happens when you are, you know, an older parent. You can't, exactly. you know, these things you just can't do. A geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Very geriatric. Yeah. <baby. laughs> Man, they got to come up with a better term for that. They really do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Get on it, medical people. Anyway, that all aside, this was wonderful, and I'm very excited about everything that's going on in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. You can find out about it by following all of our social medias. Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter, Instagram. That's our YouTube channel as well. Lots of wonderful videos up there, including information on our brand new and newly announced book, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Find out all about it there at YouTube as well as on the interwebs. And you can pre-order now. So jump in and find out more about that as much as you can. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And I'm also running a Star Trek rewatch podcast called Re-Engage. You can find that on podcasts where you're checking out uh, where to get Secret Nerd podcast. I was a secret, you know, Star Trek fan for a long time. And now I'm back into being full fledged uh, as well as uh, where people can follow you, Shelly. Where's that? At Shelly Moo on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Well, find out all those things. And in the meantime, we're going to find out what happens to Drunky Two-Shoes as she is now experiencing the Stay Puff Doppelganger Man in the South Ward of Waterdeep. I was looking up right before we started. There are no walking statues nearby uh, to get perhaps a better view of what's happening. So you are on the ground outside of the garrulous Groster. You rushed out front and you see a 200-foot-tall uh, doppelganger in its true form uh, holding a figure that you recognize to be Samson uh, due to his uh, large sword uh, that he's trying to stick into the uh, arms and forearm of this very large monster. And then you see your brother, Daryl, uh, about 30 feet away, also on the ground, uh, street level. Most people are yelling, screaming, trying to get out of the way. You see a few um, bodies and, and uh, rocks that look like they are the facades of buildings that have fallen a little bit uh, as this creature has bumped into the buildings. And your brother Daryl is shooting arrows, uh, trying to wound this monstrosity in front of you. This is nuts. It's nuts. Uh, so uh, does it look like Daryl is making any progress in this attempt to wound uh the arrows are hitting uh they're they're going into the flesh and they go and they, you know you kind of hear a few of them kind of hit the uh the flesh but it's you know kind of a wet sound it almost feels like an arrow hitting like a wet paper bag or something like it's not oh. uh and it doesn't appear to the thing is reacting very strongly to daryl's arrows all right well i'm gonna run up to where daryl is mm-hmm and I'm going to, can I like start firing at it? Can I fire like a firebolt at it? Even yeah, though we're not, sure. okay. Let's do that. Let's go. And I'm like, Daryl, what the hell is this? I don't know. This thing just appeared out of nowhere. It seems as if it, it, it came from that building down there. And he points uh, to that kind of the end of the street. Uh, and you see lots of rubble uh, from a, a, a fully collapsed building. It doesn't look like it was that tall. It might have only been like one or two stories tall, uh, but it is uh, in, in complete ruins. Um, has what's her name, Laryl Silverhands, and her people shown up yet? Can I? Are they in this crowd of people? I haven't seen them yet, but I only sent that message like twelve seconds ago. All right. Well, I just oh, has it really only been? <laughs> it's only been two rounds of. <laughs> Okay. Well, anyway, I um I rolled a twenty four to hit. <gasps> nice. Well, you definitely hit. Uh, and that's go ahead and roll me be... damage as your firebolt <laughs> shoots out. Oh my god! Only six points of damage. Six points of damage. All right. But I want to so... hit him right in the throat. 
your fireball kind of shoot, and it's because it's so large, it's very difficult not to hit uh, unless you rolled uh, really poorly, but 24 is fantastic, and you hit, and you see the, f- the fireball kind of hits it uh, near its neck as you were trying to aim for, and uh, the fire almost immediately extinguishes from the, the wet goo that's around it. Um, oh, why did I aim You do see a small, you know, kind of burn mark uh, down there, but it doesn't appear to have caused it too much pain. Uh, and it's still got Samson in its head, and you feel like it's about to kind of slam him down oh, onto no, no. A, a building nearby. I already did an action. I can't do anything else. Yeah, are you going to move? Well, I guess you moved and then and did that action. I'm okay. going to move. Oh, I can't move. That's right, because I moved to get up to... Daryl. But while right. I'm, can I just stand in place and scream things like, Yes. Me! Pick me! I'm the one you want! I'm the one you want! You dumb, ugly doppelganger! Awesome. You big, uh, giant bag of goo! <laughs> <laughs> That's the bit that it heard. It was like, I know. I'm yeah. not big or. I'm yeah, you're gooey. Uh, no, so it um, it does continue with its motion of trying to slam uh, Samson mm. down onto the building, and it opens its uh, palm a little bit, and you're not really sure. You think you saw... Uh, actually, make me a perception check real quick. I'm very perceptive. Okay. 19. 19. Okay, so you uh, get the sense that somehow uh, Samson had anticipated... Uh, this movie, it's really hard for you to see, but you do get the sense he kind of leapt out of the fist as it was coming down. So you, you're, you're, you're hoping he was able to kind of roll away um, and, uh, still and would... succeed. But oh. he put the, the, the huge doppelganger pulls its hand back up and it's Samson's not there. And you see him almost kind of, uh, the, this large creature kind of hold its hand in pain for a, for a brief second. At that same moment, you see eight flying griffins uh, approaching from the castle ward, and they oh. start to uh, circle uh, this huge doppelganger, and one of them comes down and lands directly in front of you, and it is being ridden by mm. one of the wizards that you got into an altercation with on the way down here. It is a gnome, Shh. and it says, You! What did you do down here? You know what? Maybe you better lift your no magic ban right now. There's a giant doppelganger. Don't worry about it. And let me on. And I try to jump on the griffin. All right. Uh, make an animal handling check. I'm also skilled in animal handling. There you Dang. go. Oh, oh, nine. Only got a nine. Nine? That's okay. I think uh, it's a trained uh, griffin, and it uh, you can actually see, like, the rider had turned so so that you could actually get on. Uh, oh, so okay. You're able to kind of use that nine to, to stride. He's like, yes, let's go. Let's go. We're going to solve this problem the only way that we know how. Magic, baby. Magic. Let's go. Ah. All right. And we'll pick it up next time. I made a friend. With you riding the griffin of your gnome wizard friend. Oh, what did you do? 